0: Everybody. Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Nerd Alert Podcast. I'm your host, James Huang. Joining us today is Cycling Tips Senior Tech Editor, Dave Rome from Sydney, Australia. Hi, Dave. Hello. And taking a much-needed break from his side gig working to become a professional axe thrower is Cycling <laughs> Tips Editor-in-Chief, Kaylee Fretz. Hi, Kaylee. Wait, what? <laughs> I have
1: questions.
0: <laughs> what is Massimo telling you? We never
2: actually got to throw axes. That was the sad thing. I
1: know. What happened? Oh, did you
0: actually, wait, oh, yeah, I I totally just made that up. Like, did you actually go and like, were you actually attempting to go throw axes the other day? Oh, so I just assumed that Massimo had been talking to you about this. No, no, I I had had no idea, actually. we
2: had. apparently I was running the money. Yeah, so for for our good friend, uh, pro-mechanic Zach, his bachelor party was, what, two weekends ago. Uh, The intention was to go to a place called the Outback in Boulder where they have axe throwing, and we didn't get there. we got sidetracked by some things as as one does at a bachelor party uh but that's what I thought you were referring to
0: no, no, but apparently i'm apparently i'm spot on that mm-hmm. <laughs> good guess speaking speaking of Zach, we are unfortunately without our ace mechanic today because as as uh, Kaylee alluded to, he's getting married, and in fact he's getting married this weekend, so Zach's got some things to do, so Congratulations to Zach and Ruth. We will talk to them again in two weeks on the show. But in the meantime, it'll just be the three of us today. Uh, Well, we have had a few slow news weekends on uh, the last few Nerd Alert Alert group shows. Uh, And then we've also had some busier ones. And this one most certainly counts as a busier one since for whatever reason, there's kind of been a lot going on to talk about uh, in the tech world. So Roval has finally spilled the beans on the whole tubeless, not tubeless, tubeless, not tubeless thing. Uh, Wilco Kelderman... Apparently is not an expert in metallurgy. Uh Campagnolo perhaps has some or just or just like how <laughs> bikes work. Like I, like what what anyway, uh, well, don't don't worry. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Uh Campagnolo apparently has uh seemingly has some new ultralight climbing wheels that are about to debut. We also have some more upheaval in the indoor cycling world. And we'll talk to you about what not to do when washing your bike. And then, as always, we will wrap up this show with everyone's favorite Nerd Alert segment, Ask a Mechanic. First of all, how's everyone doing today, though? Dave, I want to hear about your, your, new, your new pup. Uh, yeah, I know we always ask you how many tools you bought or what tools you recently bought. I would mm. like to know
1: what tools your new dog recently ate. <laughs> uh, I've got a, a three-month-old Border Collie. His name is Richie. Uh, he's a very good boy. And very cute. Is he named after Richie Port? He the spelling is actually more similar to the cycling brand, uh, uh. the the originator. Yes, more um, similar or um, the identical to? Man, apparently this is uh, I, apparently this is Dave's play to get too. a free frame or something. <laughs> yeah, identical to. Um, I mean, yeah, the it's it's a nod to the to the person who was there welding the the very first mountain bikes. Question? Yes, Kay. I mean,
2: well. Rome, you've already answered this.
1: Uh, mm. What other, what
2: other mountain bike, road bike innovators, originators, interesting people would make good dog names?
1: This is a very good Fisher, question. Fisher's a good one. Fisher's Fisher a good is one. A good Another one. sort of OG. Yeah. Charlie. Yeah.
2: Charlie's yeah. a good one. Yeah.
1: yeah. I don't like want to take getting, us too far
2: yeah. off topic here, but, you know, should I need to name a dog sometime soon?
1: Yeah, I, I did. A I actually, like, a re- of course I had to go through the a lot of the tool brand names when naming my dog. Um, <laughs> and uh, my partner was not keen on Weera as a dog name, <laughs> which I thought was quite good. Uh, Hazette was another one. Didn't I'm, work I'm gonna out. Get, I'm going to guess PB Swiss didn't make the cut either. No, PB <laughs> didn't make the cut. So, um, <laughs> Abby didn't really work out for a boy dog. So, um, and also our very own abby uh with the, with the cycling tips team probably would have been a little upset. Um <laughs> so yeah um yeah anyway uh i think the list is probably quite long as far as innovating or just like old pros like or something. And names. Yeah. Like yeah. herbald or yeah you know
2: well i don't know yeah yeah, in the ro-
1: in the road world, I mean, there's quite a few dogs getting around uh, with the name Mercs, right? So I'm sure uh, quite a few, quite sure. a few, yeah. But uh, no, anyway, he's uh, as far as the original question. Um, he likes PB Swiss Swiss grip handles. He, mm. he seems to quite like the texture of those. Um, I haven't, I haven't given him the chance to see how much he likes them, <laughs> but, uh, but but by bet. Based on first impression, good, good. Um, and then he's got a good taste. Uh, Abby Crombie tools he he quite liked, but he didn't quite like the texture of it, so he gave up on that one pretty quick. Um, but yeah, I guess the lesson learned is I need to stop leaving tools on the ground. So yeah, expect uh, expect photos of, of the crossover there. Kelly, it doesn't sound like there's a dog in your future, is there?
2: No. <laughs> Although my my 14-month-old daughter... Currently, the only words that she can say are woof and meow. Uh, We have a cat, so that explains that. But I'm not really sure where she got all the woofs from, and it's slightly concerning.
0: We'll see. Hmm. Maybe a cat has a cough. (laughs) Possibly. Possibly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's get into the news. Um, First up, uh, I think this is something that we have been waiting to talk about for, I guess, a couple of years now. Um, Roval. Uh, their uh, original generation Rapide CLX and Alpinus CLX wheels launched in like June 2020, something like that. They were, as we've mentioned several times on the show, they clearly were supposed to be tubeless as far as how they were originally designed. However, at the time, Robot was very, very explicit that they actually weren't tubeless compatible and that despite being huge champions for tubeless technology up until that point, They reversed course and told everyone that tube type was actually better because the wheels were lighter and the combination of specialized turbo cotton clinchers and latex inner tubes was faster. Fast forward two years. Yeah, we didn't really quite buy that explanation. And now Roval has launched updated versions of those wheels now called the Rapid CLX2 and the Alpinist CLX2. Uh, They're basically the same rim shapes, but now they have about 50 grams of added material per rim to prevent what the company described as the possibility of pretty dramatically catastrophic rim not tire, rim blowouts if you ran those first-gen wheels tubeless and kind of really smashed into something. Um, So Raval apparently went through like 21, 22 months of testing to identify and correct this issue, which was discovered by none other than Peter Sagan in 2019. And then Raval has implied that there are likely some other brands of tubeless road wheels that this may or may not affect that to be is to be determined but roval uh, has proposed a new ASTM test protocol to supposedly help improve wheel safety industry wide uh, so so many thoughts on this one <laughs> D- dave i'm i'm really curious to hear your impressions on this one first cuz you and i actually haven't really talked about
1: it yet yeah i mean from my point of view it's uh, those original wheels were insanely light right? Yes. when you, especially the repeat when you when you look at that repeat for the depth and the width that it is, and then the weight that's a, was around 1,400 grams for the pair with, with a hub that's not necessarily a super lightweight hub, I mean, that was just a, a ridiculously lightweight wheel. So I wasn't totally surprised by the fact that we had this tubeless-looking rim with a tubeless profile on it and what looked like tubeless rim tape, um, but then question marks over... That it was safe to run. Um, personally, I thought it was more a, a compression issue that would lead to spoke tension loss. I thought that under tubeless, the um, you know tubeless setup puts more more compression on a rim versus the tube setup, and I thought that was what the safety concern was—that it was maybe shrinking the rim. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 obviously a different issue. Um, but yeah, I'm not I'm not totally surprised that they've had to add weight to that rim in order to make it uh, safe, for, for this purpose.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, for sure, I agree with you. I know that we talked about how that those wheels were incredibly light. And yes, it does seem like specialized, sorry, Roval. <laughs> totally different company. Totally different. Absolutely. Um, Not really. Uh, <laughs> it does seem like Roval pushed the envelope just a little bit too much on those wheels as far as them making them super light. As apparently, just to, just to recap a little bit, um, there has been a little bit of confusion out there as far as what exactly was going on with these wheels. And I have read some other articles from other outlets that sort of said that the problem was that uh, the problem was one related to tire retention that um, they were too light and like in an an impact, like the tire would blow off that sort of thing. That's not quite exactly what was going on. The issue, according to Roval anyway, was that um, if you ran those wheels tubeless and you really smashed into something to the point where you developed a pretty sizable crack in the tire bed, um, essentially what you have at that point you have a two piece pressure vessel with the, the tire bed forming one half of that and the tubeless tire casing forming the other half. And then the issue is when you have uh, when you had a crack in the tire bed portion of that pressure vessel, that part of the pressure vessel basically just wanted to like explode. So uh, Raval unfortunately did not provide images of Sagan's exploded wheel at this board training camp in 2019. Uh, They did show some of us pictures, however, and that rim most definitely exploded. Like it looked like a bomb went off inside the rim. The whole side of it just blew out. So where was I going with this? Uh, (laughs) Specialized is full (laughs) of crap. Is that what we're talking about? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, so. They deserve
2: what's coming to them right now, just to I, be very clear. I think clear. We,
0: we, all, we all knew that whenever the explanation came out, it was pr- they were going to be clearly eating a lot of crow, and they were clearly <laughs> mm-hmm. going to be taking an awful lot of heat from a lot of people for what really seems like, I mean, on the one hand, You know, I, w- I will give them some props for not just putting out into the marketplace a product that they had, Some, at least, indications what maybe wasn't safe to be run tubeless. Um, But at the same time, it would have been nice to have some more transparency at the time that, you know, what would have happened if these wheels were run tubeless. Because since this article went live, I've heard from all sorts of people who have been like, oh, I've run those wheels tubeless just fine. I've actually heard from a shop who has been setting up customer wheels tubeless, He's like several dozen, apparently, Mm -hmm. and said it's just fine. I don't and think I guess that the itch- shop has internal counsel. No, no. Yeah. But I guess the, the, <laughs> the issue is apparently those wheels are fine until they're not. And then they're mm-hmm. really, really the, not fine. The liability of that. I, if that shop is listening, please stop. <laughs> it's like, uh, no, there, there, there have been some discussions with this shop. And I think it's pretty clear that that shop is not going to stop. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> seems have seems fun. kind How- of silly. You know. Seems kind of silly. Are they not in America at least? So they like they are not. They are not in the not in the United States. Uh, no.
2: Okay, that would help. Yeah, slightly less litigious country, perhaps. Just a
0: little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. Um, but yeah. So on the one hand, like it's kind of nice that, like I said, like it's that they identified this. If this really is an issue that affects other tubeless wheel, tubeless road wheel companies, um, then that certainly is something that is good to put out there. Um, Because one issue that Roval apparently discovered is it's pretty common for um, tubeless wheel companies to do their impact testing uh, with tires mounted. However, just due to practicality reasons, most of these companies do their testing with tubes inside because setting up tubeless tires on test wheels over and over again is just a huge pain in the ass. Um, So my understanding is most of these companies do those uh, tests tubed. However, Roval is saying that the test outcomes are different when you test with tubes versus tubeless. And this is how they discovered this issue because they had done other testing with tubes and it was fine. And then Sagan obviously rode tubeless, smashed into the curb, wheel exploded, and it clearly was not fine. And then, when they, and then when they went back and did a whole bunch of other testing and ran all those things tubeless, then they discovered they had a
1: problem. It's quite frightening that, that this is something that the industry is only learning now. Um, Uh, for sure, you know, it's quite frightening to think about the potential for a lot of other products on the market that could potentially have the same issue. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's good that specialized found this and that have implemented into their testing, but it's it's also kind of worrying that you know it's it's basically what they're saying that there could be others that need to start testing for this.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's more than a little unsettling, and you know, some people have pointed out that yeah um, this could potentially just sort of be like another marketing deflection sort of thing on specialized part to sort of just you know say hey you know we had this problem but by the way other companies may have this problem too but we're not going to name such said companies yeah that's possible um, so there i mean there is some cloudiness there however um but still the fact that this issue has never come up and the fact that no one else has talked about it and the fact that it clearly has had such catastrophic consequences for potentially anyway Yeah, I I agree with you, David. It's worrisome. Uh, uh, Hopefully, it'll kind of prevent people from going too light on tubeless wheels in the future, but I guess that remains to be seen.
1: The, The biggest issue here, and the one that I think people are probably most bothered by, is the fact that Specialized figured this out prior to launching the wheels. Right, Like, they had... I believe this issue happened, what six months prior to them deciding to go public with the wheels and make them and made the decision to just say they're tube only, they're safe on tubes. We've tested it. There's no issue with tubes, but you are going to spend all this money and we're going to sell you this kind of white lie saying that tubes are faster because the wheel set is lighter, which there is some truth to that. The wheel set for tubes was lighter. Um, but yeah, I think that's the problem so many people have is they bought into these high-end bikes, these S-Works bikes, or they bought the wheels, being led to believe by, by Specialized and Roval that this was the fastest package, and it's turned out that that is not true.
2: I mean, it feels like the uh, tail wagging the dog, right? It, it was like, we're too far into this, mm-hmm. and not only not only do we have all these wheels that we want to sell aftermarket, but like every single high-end bike we plan on selling in the next two years has these wheels on. We've made a bajillion of them already. I mean, if you're six months out, they they have have already made thousands, thousands and thousands. And what like, like, you know, chuck all that out the window? I mean, I think that's what people would probably have preferred that they do, but it does feel like that was yeah. essentially how the decision was made.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what worth keeping in mind is like I have seen some comments saying like Specialized shouldn't, you know, should have just kept with the old model, but it's kind of too late once you've made these, you know, thousands of wheel sets. Like the other option is literally to, scrap all of those wheels which is is his own issue right if that came out in public then they'd have another PR nightmare of you know how wasteful and you know how uh, environmentally irresponsible such a thing is and you know those are perfectly good wheels for tubes that fit most of the population so I mean they they'll basically backed into a corner on this that lose millions of dollars and you know create a huge amount of waste or come out with a, a new story and sell them
0: or yeah or or like even if they just had said like you know we discovered this issue we can only say that they are safe to be run tubeless which is now what the story is officially but you know looking on a bunch of forums and stuff there are people out there who are actively seeking out the first generation wheels for a couple of reasons one because they are lighter and it sounds like a lot of these people well I can say from the forum posts that a lot of these people aren't running them tubeless anyway, but they also are really drawn to the fact that they are lighter and they are now discounted. Um, But then there certainly are plenty of people out there who have just been like, I've been running them tubeless just fine. I'm good to go. It's okay. Um, But yeah, I mean, they really were kind of backed into a corner because Kaylee, as you mentioned, they had all these bikes that were that respect with these wheels they had all this product that was already planned that was already in production like what do you do i guess the question is if you were not going to, I, mean, I i think yeah like as you as you said i think the real issue is that there wasn't a full a full level of transparency here i think you know had they come out and said there is a safety issue with these wheels tubeless this is why we're saying that they have to be run tubed which is kind of what they implied but didn't just come out, out come out and say
1: no, they tried wonder, to spin it. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. I wonder if the reception would have been a little bit better, because ultimately, realistically speaking, I mean, in in June 2020, we're in like the, the we're on huge upswing for the whole COVID bump in terms of uh, in terms of the bike industry, and bike sales, and that sort of thing. Realistically speaking, they were they were going to sell those bikes anyway. Um, maybe it would have been nice if they had like maybe dropped the price on things a little bit or like kind of offered to give people who ended up with those first gen wheels like a little bit of a deal on the second gen ones or something. And um, one of my biggest issues is that although these wheels are officially called the Rapid CLX2 and the Alpinist CLX2, they are not marked that way on the wheels themselves. So there is like a little, there's a little graphic that indicates the tubeless tire pressure on the new wheels. Um, The hubs on the Alpinist model are different. Uh, There's tubeless tape installed, that sort of thing. Uh, there is a very minor difference in how the graphics app- are applied like you know they kind of made a big deal about how like there are these minimal graphics and now they're just clocked 90 degrees off from what they used to be like who's going to know that so it's just silly anyway like i just feel like i just feel like this is robal in some ways kind of shooting themselves in the foot a little bit as far as you know yes they spun it initially and they fixed the problem but it just feels like this just adds to the pile of people who are just you know, screaming into, screaming at the screaming at the world, saying that specialized and Roval are just they're just deceptive and lying. But you know, well, whether or not that's true, that's the that's the narrative that they are themselves perpetuating. Well, I mean, they were <laughs> like like
2: honesty is the best policy. I, that I, I don't know if I was if I was working in specialized PR, that's what I would have been pushing for. Is like I, like just tell people it, like it'll come back. Like it it will come out as it has. And then I guess the hope is that enough people don't care at that point that it, it it makes a smaller splash, but I think it probably would have made a smaller splash initially if they were just like, yeah, we designed these to be tubeless. And during testing, we decided that they're safer as clinchers and you should run them as clinchers. Like, I think that that would have been, that would have been an acceptable storyline. Uh, people still would have been pissed and yell about it and whatever else, but they wouldn't have, I mean, that they, like let's just be very clear like they they purposely obfuscated what was actually happening oh yeah for a, for a while Clearly. uh and like you know a white lie or whatever you want to call it but yeah, yeah just from an optics perspective it's it's not it's not great and yeah for a company that sort of has had its share of incidents over the last decade or so that caused people to not trust them already i think that yeah regardless honesty is the best policy and They weren't. Uh, And so, you know, they just deserve some stick. Like, they're still good wheels. They were good wheels. They are good wheels. But come on. Like, treat your consumers like intelligent human beings.
0: And uh, they will respect you for it. Indeed. Indeed. Well, moving on from this topic, um, because it is unfortunate. Because having ridden those wheels, the new ones now, they are quite good. But anyway. uh, So, in somewhat related news, uh, Bora Hansgrohe rider Wilco Kelderman. Recently had a little bit of a rough day at the Giro, losing 10 minutes on Stage 9 after some pretty unfortunately timed mechanicals and bike changes before the final climb up the blockhouse. Uh, One of those mechanicals was at least one, perhaps more, broken spokes on his new Roval Alpinist CLX2 wheel. Um, But the cause of that broken spoke? Uh, Kelderman publicly blamed disc brakes, saying it was because, quote, Disc brakes get very hot and those spokes then get warm. They just collapsed because of the pressure because it was a very fast descent. Period. End quote. Science. Uh, show, show of hands here. Who thinks Kelderman's spoke broke because of disc brake heat? Oh, for sure it did. 100%. Yeah. What else sure, could it possibly be? work you? very well on a podcast.
2: <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> no. How did... <do> you... <sighs> You know, makes sense so, to me. So so um. so. Ronan, Ronan Ronan wrote this up. Ronan wrote this up for this for the site and kind of goes through why this makes no sense, including talking to like a pro mechanic who's like, no. Uh, but his one of his last lines is actually the one that kind of stuck out to me, which is like, why would Kelderman say this? Like, what is it that the pro peloton has against disc brakes still? Which to be clear, uh, like uh, I, I don't know if there are spinning any rim knives breaks. of death spinning that. Sorry, spinning knives of death. <laughs> like, what, what, Why would I mean, Okay, the dude just lost 10 minutes. He was supposed to be a GC guy like it was a big deal. He screwed up in some ways. Right. Or his body was not able to do what he wanted it to do. He's looking for a scapegoat. But like, why the why the disc breaks? Why not be like my spokes were bad or the person that ran into me? (laughs) It was their fault. I don't I don't understand why I don't understand. Like the, right. the antagonism toward the disc brakes and the pro remains. And I, I wonder how long it will take to dissipate. Oh man. Well, <laughs>
0: not as long as it's going to take for the heat to dissipate out of that <laughs> system. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> just to be clear, just to be clear, let, like, let's just think about what would have actually been required physically for this to proceed the way that Kelderman thought it did. So you would have, a- aluminum melts at, well, aluminum starts to lose strength supposedly at like I don't know it's like 170 180 degrees Celsius something like that, and then you would have to not only get that material really hot. So uh, and the reason why I'm talking about aluminum is that and that that's if like you talk about the idea that a spoke flange perhaps weakened so that the spoke like blew out of the flange maybe, but uh, you know the, the 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 point at which stainless steel softens and loses a lot of strength is much much higher than that. Uh, if you think about what would be required for all the heat to develop in that brake transfer through the rotor, through the hub, through the, through the spokes. I mean, if if you, if you believe that the, that the heat would transfer in that direction, it would probably also transfer to the, to the fork too. And let me tell you the melting point of carbon fiber composite is much lower than aluminum or, or stainless steel. And his fork would have been just like a puddle of goo. (laughs) Not to mention his brakes wouldn't have worked and his caliper probably would have blown out because that's aluminum and that's, that would have been the source of the heat anyway. And that it just, just no. Yeah. Well, so, it, and it was a it was drive side spoke. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. So I, I did. I reached out to Specialized and sorry, I reached out to Roval. Excuse me. Totally different company. Completely I, different. Like, yeah. Now doing this on purpose. Except, <laughs> except the email. <laughs> I'm not. Baby. I swear I'm not. It's Weirdly, just, the
2: emails are the same.
0: I don't really. It's really strange. Very strange. Strange. So anyway, the, uh, the email came back. James, thanks for reaching out. As you can imagine, we're in close contact with the team and it appears a significant impact broke a spoke requiring a wheel change. So, all right, let, let's just parse this out for just a second here. So let's let's just go back to what we were saying a minute ago about how Roval and Specialized, whatever, doesn't really have a whole lot of credibility to go on here. So let's just take all this with a grain of salt for just a moment and say, okay, what if Roval is just covering up here? Okay, what, what if they just say, what if they're just making up the impact? No one saw it, no one's got it on camera, whatever. Um, so back to the quote. The
2: very shiny Uh, hat
0: you've got on. Back, Back to the quote. So he said, we design wheels as a complete system so that when our riders do encounter a significant impact, that force is transferred down the rim away from the tire rim pressure vessel and to the spoke bed and spokes. This ensures the structural integrity of the wheel system and allows our riders to come to a complete and safe stop for a wheel change. Key point here, the broken spoke was on the drive side. Brake heat is not an issue and was not involved. So, yeah. So not only does it seem certainly implausible, but that broken spoke was on the side of the hub opposite of where the disc brakes are, which seems pretty unlikely.
2: I believe nigh on impossible is how Ronan put
0: it. (laughs) 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 Which which Uh, sounds so much more elegant.
1: The reality is, is that if this were an issue, we'd be constantly hearing about people uh, having grease issues coming onto their braking surface from their hub, right? The grease melting yeah, the out grease of their liquefy. hub. The grease would liquefy, yeah. yeah. Uh, we would have seen all sorts of issues if that
0: if there was actually just that not, kind of heat being developed and transferred elsewhere into the yeah, bike. It's just, just no. a non-issue in the system. So, however, what I do take issue with, however, is the fact that, Various media outlets, unfortunately, including one of our sister publications. By Mike, my, my apologies to our dear friends at Vela News. Um, but one issue I take with with this is that yes, Kelderman said that to some, I think like a Dutch newspaper or something like that. But just because he said it doesn't mean that you just have to like scribble this thing up and parrot it out there as truth. Like this whole thing was ridiculous. So why do you just write out there like Kelderman says? My says his spoke broke because of disc brake heat. It's complete nonsense. What are you doing? Was it hoodie? I'm Want to text him? <laughs> I don't think it's. I don't think it was hoodie. I don't think so.
2: In, Either in way, in Bellini's defense, I think the people that they have on the ground at the moment at the Giro are not tech people, and so yeah, in their defense, in their defense, uh, still maybe oh, yes. they have tech people around.
0: <laughs> maybe ask you, James we're technically part of the same company. (laughs) That would have worked. Yeah. Like who, who knows? But like, I feel like that would have been the equivalent of me being on the ground, trying to write something up about Kelderman as far as from a race perspective and just making something up. Like he got abducted by aliens (laughs) for nine minutes. (laughs) That's what, that's what he, it's what he said. That's what he said. That clearly must be what happened. Because Zach is not here on the podcast
2: today. I feel the need to bring a bit of him into the podcast. And I would just like to (laughs) read out, uh, the text message that I got from him about this, <laughs> uh, optional headline quote, many mountain bikers have never broken spokes because their disc brakes got hot. Kelderman loses 10 minutes, comes up with most ridiculous excuse since the vanishing <laughs> twin,
0: <laughs> which is a bit long. It's too many characters, but I think you get the too point. many. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I had all sorts of alternate titles for, for, he was uh, for, for Ronan's article too. <laughs> he was yes, absolutely quite, Quite silly, quite silly. So anyway, (sighs) yes, Kelderman's spoke did not break because of disk break heat. Let's just say that once and for
1: all, it is done. Very, very silly. Anyway. That that said, I will soon be releasing a heat sink that you can attach to your spokes. Uh, They come in multiple (laughs) colors. And they make cool sounds as the wheel go around, goes around. Uh, they are not related to Spokey Dokies, even though they look the same. It is new. It is, it is for heat sinking of your spokes. Um, so, and yes. more
0: importantly, for, for, for listeners of the Nerd Alert podcast, I believe you have a special discount code, don't you?
1: <laughs> I do. I do. Just coupon code Spokey Dokie. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Just enter in Nerd Alert 15 for your special 15% off discount, which brings the price down to a low, low... 80 US Aust- or 80 Australian dollars for one half wheels worth in your, yes. your choice of anodized colors.
2: Joking aside, like this is why Roval needs to be careful about, about feeding us nonsense. Right. Indeed. Because, like, because
0: there are, there are times when we actually need a real answer.
2: Yeah. Or like, like, you know, I was ed- I was, I was editing this story with Ronan when he put it together and he sent it over and you know, he wrote it up and I was on the I was subbing and he was like, when he first wrote it, he actually wrote it sort of like, more, I should say, less skeptical of of Kelderman than the, than the, than the final version. Um, more like, kind of willing to accept that this as a possibility. And part of that was him essentially like preparing himself for this onslaught of kind of anti-specialized, anti-Roval, like people that don't believe a, th- a single thing that a company says. And he didn't want to just parrot the Roval statement and put it out there. You know, obviously, he wanted to run through the all the myriad reasons why this this was nonsense, but. It, it, we actually like, I went back to him. I was like, no, nah, I think in this case, like we can be, we can be pretty firm about this one. Like we're very, <laughs> we're very, we're very sure that this is, this is how, that this is what, how it went down. But even so, like that is a perfect example of like perception is important here. And, you know, specialized revolve, like be careful because, you know, like I said, the, the, the reputation has already been affected by various incidents. Uh, and you don't really want to add any to it if you don't have to. Just another example. Indeed.
0: Okay. I don't want to give them PR advice on a podcast, but I'm sure that, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> All right. Well, in other news, in other wheel news, I should say, uh, it does look like Campagnolo might be reviving the Hyperon model name, potentially, with some new lightweight carbon wheels that Ronan, uh, who we were just talking about, spotted on the UAE Emirates Team bikes uh also in stage nine of the juro so these appear to actually be slightly deeper surprisingly than the 30 mil uh than the 33 mil deep bora ultra wto 33s that are currently in the camping lineup uh they also look to be a fair bit wider which is interesting uh they also appear to they might be tubulars which would kind of go in along with the whole narrative of being super light Um, those current bore ultra WTO 33s have a claimed weight of, they're just under 1400 grams, but they are, uh, disc only and tubeless and tube type compatible clinchers. So maybe as a tubular, these could maybe be like, I don't know, close to like 1200 grams or so, maybe 1250. Uh, we have no information for this thing yet. Uh, we have gotten no information out of Campagnolo, so this is purely speculation on our on our part. Uh, there was also some speculation in the comments uh, of that article saying that maybe that wasn't even a Campy wheel. Uh, although I don't really know what else it could be at the moment. Uh, they were quite clearly, quite conspicuously slathered with Campagnolo labels, so it's pretty unusual if someone's going to run a completely different brand of wheel. Usually they're just unlabeled. Uh, so it seems more likely that this this is a campy wheel, but uh, yeah, we are going to find out what these are sooner than
1: later. I think pretty clearly.
2: I'm very excited about this.
1: I I would be surprised if it's tubular, given the way the industry is going at the moment. I I would be surprised if the it, even a company like Campagnolo who are probably going to be one of the last companies to to still offer tubular wheels. Um, I'd, yeah, I'd be surprised if they're investing in in a new. It would be very
0: surprising, but stranger things have happened. Uh, But going along with the conversation, going along with the conversation that we had a little while ago, if these are indeed some super ultra light carbon tubeless wheels,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, I wonder if Campagnolo has tested those with tubes or without tubes. (laughs) Interesting. Mm. All right. Well, Moving on to non-wheel topics. Uh, during the last group show, we talked about some recent goings-on at Oahu, who recently laid off like something like 90 people or so, but also at the same time bought online cycling simulator software provider, RGT Cycling. And now we are hearing, thanks to our friend Ray over at DC Rainmaker, that Zwift has decided to put on hold its long-rumored plan to offer its own dedicated indoor bike Basically, like a, an, a physical version of the, the Tron bike that some people have earned uh, on the on the program, uh, and Zwift has laid off a bunch of people associated with that project in the process. So, in a statement from Zwift, they said, "quote Given the current macroeconomic environment, we have decided to scale back our hardware offering, pausing plans to launch a smart bike. As a consequence, Zwift has implemented difficult yet important changes to the organization of the business." We're grateful for the contributions of all those impacted and, and have done our very best to support them, unquote. So interestingly, according to PR director Chris, uh, Chris Snook, this is not some sign of like Zwift's impending demise or anything as you know, the company is still adding a bunch of subscribers regularly. They still seem to be growing, um, but this does rather seem to really be a pause in that hardware program while the company instead focuses on software. But I still kind of begs the question though. Like even the things were growing really well. Like, do we need another high end indoor bike in the market, or would it have made more sense to, for Zwift to have something kind of like Peloton, where you have like an all in one solution, where you don't, like don't have to reach out to third party providers and stuff like that, based on, like a one button operation thing? Like, would that have made sense
1: for me? I think what's happened to Peloton, uh, their stock price in recent time is is exactly. What probably led to this decision, or or was the final nail in the coffin for this decision, is that uh, Peloton at the moment they're, I as far as I understand it, they're trying to pivot towards being the subscription model, a content focused subscription model, and Zwift is kind of already there. So you know, as as the yeah as the main competitor, I guess, is trying to pivot, they were trying to get into Peloton's area, which is proving to be far more challenging for that company. So. I'm not surprised by this move. Uh, I think Zwift was already in a pretty positive position, and I think by them going into their own hardware, they were only going to upset their partners that got them their their technical hardware partners that got them into this position of being a success in the first place. Uh, so I think they've really weighed out the the pros of going down the hardware path and and realized that they're probably better off relying on the likes of Garmin who own Tax and even Wahoo, who are technically now a competitor in that software space, but yeah, I think they they're stronger as a software company than they are as a as an ecosystem company.
0: Yeah, and unfortunately, what you can maybe argue that some damage has already been done too, because while Zwift did rely on all these hardware companies mm-hmm. to help promote their business by yeah. even announcing or kind of insinuating or letting leak whatever that they were working on indoor hardware. All of a sudden, I, th- I would think that if I were one of those hardware companies, like I'd be a lot more, I'd be a lot more reluctant in being super open in my development plans with with, uh, with Zwift, because even if this program is paused as they claim it is, or fully canceled or whatever, it certainly would make me think twice about trusting them completely moving forward. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I don't know, like, are there any other hardware brands other than Wahoo that that acquired their own software solution? I believe um, Tax had one, but
0: yeah, I mean, Tax had one. You know, Saras had one, but I mean, they're really small, small players yeah. in that in that field. Um, it, you just don't really see a whole lot. Like, I wouldn't really consider them competitors necessarily. Like, like mm. there are just there are other options, but certainly in terms of their user base and subscriber numbers and stuff like that. I mean, Zwift is Zwift is still by far the 800 pound gorilla. But anyway, just by by virtue of the fact that Zwift, we given all the power and all the like venture capital money and all the all, all the resources that they have in general, the fact that they would that the fact that they would announce or, you know, just have plans to dive into that market, really, if I were a hardware maker, that would make me super, super nervous. Cause I mean, who's to say? Who's to say at some point, let's say Zwift launched an indoor bike. Let's just say they they dove in at the high end first and did their their high end Tron bike. So they would sell, I don't know, however many of those at 3500 US, kind of like you know, something similar to what the other ones are priced at. But who's to say that they wouldn't come out with their own line of inexpensive trainers and stuff like that? And who's to say at some point they wouldn't just be like, ah, actually none of you are going to be going to be compatible with Zwift anymore. If you want to use Zwift, you've got to use, you've got to use our hardware too. Sorry, thanks for playing.
2: Yeah, I think that, that would be a, that'd be a tricky genie to put back in the
0: bottle for Zwift.
2: I mean, it, imagine how many people, how many consumers you would make really angry who were sitting at home with Wahoos and things like that. So I'm not oh, sure that yeah. that's something that they would ever actually do, but there's no question
1: that there's, they could yeah. have, yeah, they could have implemented but, yeah. unique features. For yeah, their I own, was, you know, I was just going to say,
0: what, what if you could only get the turtle shells? If you had the Zwift hardware,
2: <laughs> then I would get Zwift hardware. Cause that's all there I want. There you go. From there you Zwift, go. It's turtle shells. Yeah. I mean, the whole yep. thing is uh, both the Wahoo stuff and the Zwift as by stuff. I mean, human beings losing their jobs, which is not great. Um, hmm. Both of those feel very tied together to me and feel at first I was like, Oh, this is a bad sign for the bike industry, which is frankly like a bad sign for us. Right. Uh, but the more I kind of thought about it is those two almost exist. Wahoo less so than Zwift, but they kind of exist in, in a slightly different place. And like, I know that Zwift's big push this year was really non endemics and, and, and trying to get the sort of like non hardcore cyclists onto their platforms. and, I imagine that's probably shifting because, well, frankly, like all those people are the people that couldn't go to gyms during the pandemic, and that's why they had access to them all of a sudden. And now those people are back in gyms and and are doing whatever they're doing, yoga or whatever else. And so they're much harder to 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 pull in as consumers. And I think that that Zwift has realized that. I think that Wahoo like sort of realized that. And it's it's I don't necessarily think it's like impending doom for the bike industry that these things are are contracting because they do they feel somewhat separate in terms of the audience that they were going after and the consumers that they were going after versus like a specialized or something like that, right? Um, But it is still concerning. uh, And, you know, lots of good people lost work, which is not something we ever want to see. So
1: yeah, hope they all uh, end up okay.
2: Zwift, from what I hear, Zwift tends to treat its employees relatively well. I've heard some some good things on that front, uh, so I w- I would hope that there's you know some runway given to people and things like that, but I cannot confirm that.
0: Well, again, this is another one of those situations where I guess we're just gonna have to find out what happens here. Um, but yeah, I I dare say my money is on this program being canceled and not paused. But so be it. It, it feels um, it feels like
2: when when American bike races get like postponed <laughs> for a year. You <laughs> right, know, you're like, right. oh no no no, the Tour of California will be back we'll be back in 2023. And you're like, no, mm-hmm. you won't. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you <laughs> won't. You just literally, literally like it's coming back in this case. They just literally got rid of all the people that were working on it. So you're yeah. going to pull them all back in a year. Like they'll have found new jobs. Hopefully uh, so like, I, pause I,
1: until everyone forgets about it.
2: Yeah. Right. That, that's I right. don't, I mean, who knows? I hope I'm wrong. Cause I would
0: love to see a Tron bike, but I don't see that. I don't, I don't see that happening. Oh, it'd be even cool. If you had a Tron bike that you could ride outside. Uh, anyway, I digress. <laughs> All right, moving away from indoor cycling. Well, uh, if you're not going to have another choice in the premium indoor bike market, you probably should pay more attention. Might be a good idea to yeah, pay more attention to the outdoor bike that you already have uh, and. This is going to be our second mention of Peter Sagan on this show. So Peter Sagan recently posted a video on his Instagram account of him being a responsible bike racer and washing his bike after a ride. So it's nice and clean before a big training camp that he has upcoming in Utah. Uh, Dave, this is maybe one of those examples where everyday riders should not be doing exactly what pro riders are doing.
1: No, uh, for those that haven't seen the little, uh, I think it's like a 20 second video of Sagan cleaning his bike. He uses a, a car wash, so a high pressure spray with like a foaming detergent uh, and he gets it really good up into up into below <laughs> the, the head tube, that the bottom of the head tube and uh, what looked like the inside of the head tube would have been real clean. It's dirty um, up <laughs> It also happens to be where the lower headset bearing sits, which doesn't have an external seal on it. Um, and then he got his nice ceramic bottom bracket bearings just as clean as well so they'll be spinning really (laughs) fast without all that grease in them afterwards um he did do a pretty good job of cleaning the chain though he cleaned it on the on the big chain ring from the from the non-drive side so there's no risk of contaminating his disc brake there um but he probably would have contaminated his disc brake with all that foamy soap that he sprayed all (laughs) over it so um but yeah i guess it was a a general lesson in uh if you're going to use a pressure washer for your bike don't Focus the pressure washer on your bearings, right? Um, because yeah,
0: I, I would imagine there were a lot of people who were looking at that
1: video and being like, "Ah, oh, cool, Peter Sagan's
0: washing his bike." But I bet his I bet his mechanics, maybe the the his team mechanics, were watching that and being like, "Oh dear God, you just added like four hours of work to our day."
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That lower headset bearing is not so easy to get to. So um, given that the Tarmac SL7 has its uh, yeah, you need a. Remove those brake hoses in order to to get to replace that headset bearing, which the mechanics Indeed. will be doing soon enough. Um <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of funny to see the the in, like bike cleaning is one of those topics that just gets people so riled up about what's the right way. Generally speaking, I, I put post I shared this on my own Instagram account and I wrote a story about it, but a lot of the shop mechanics that I trust were like, "Oh no, what has he done?" Um, <laughs> whereas a lot of the race mechanics were like, "Hey, he's a pro cleaning his bike. What a novelty!" Normally they don't. Normally they just ride those things into the ground, and then we replace them when when race day comes. Um, so it was kind of funny to see like the complete mix. But uh, but yeah, suddenly. Pressure washers can be used, and there's right ways to do it. And I think Sagan, the way he showed it, was um, I think he was just having fun with it. Uh, <laughs> well, hey, at least his bike is
0: clean. The bike would definitely very clean. be clean. Very, very, very clean. Like very clean. White, white glove clean, or actually maybe like white glove with a little bit of orange. Now clean. <laughs> yep. yeah. <laughs> at least the non-drive side of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, he maybe he flipped it over, and maybe he flipped it around and washed the drive side too. We don't really know. It was it was a short clip.
1: Yeah. So, but, uh, but yeah, it was interesting on his own Instagram account. People are like, see, this is proof that modern bikes are really well sealed and that you can do this. It's like, no, this is just proof that he doesn't pay for his own bikes.
0: (laughs) 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 Okay. Well, speaking of mechanics, I think that is going to wrap up our news segment of the show, which means that it is time for ask a mechanic
1: all
0: right so since we do not have zach here with us today we're going to mix things up just a little bit for asking mechanic today kaylee is going to stick around with us he is Ooh. But but I'm not going to maybe gonna, wait, I'm not going to answer is, questions. May, just yeah, <laughs> he, he's maybe not going to be contributing mechanical knowledge to this segment, but he is going to play host for this part. So let's let's get on with the questions then and see what we got here.
2: I will play the part of our our lovely listeners who we hold so close to our hearts, who have many very good questions for you two this time around. Let's start with James Malman. I put some Kushcore in my hunt four seasons with Conti Terra speeds. I wasn't able to put sealant in right away, and the front is holding air, but the rear isn't. I've inflated a couple times, and it loses air overnight. I think from the valve stem. I was going to pull it apart and start over, but can't get the tire off. Classic core problem. Should I try adding sealant and seeing if it holds air, or is there a trick to get the tire off with Cushcore
0: on? I've got a few thoughts here. So first and foremost, if you install tubeless, and particularly tubeless-ready tires on a tubeless wheel uh it's not reasonable to expect that it will hold air long term so the fact that it is not holding pressure long term that in and of itself is not necessarily something to worry about since he hasn't put sealant in yet however the fact that the air is leaking at the valve is usually a pretty strong indicator that you've got a problem with your rim tape Um, because usually before you add sealant that air is going to be kind of leaking out through like around the bead or like through the casing before all those little porosities are sealed up um, if it's coming out from around the valve, uh, yeah, you can try tightening up the valve just a little bit, but that doesn't usually need to be super, super tight. Um, but if it, air is coming out around from around the valve, that usually indicates to me that air is leaking through the rim tape somewhere into your rim cavity. Um, so I for, for the wheel that you have, uh, James, where air seems to be holding okay, um, I think you can go ahead and inject sealant in there and that'll probably be okay. Uh, For the other one, however, I think you are unfortunately going to have to wrestle that tire back off and really uh, inspect your rim tape really well because my bet is that it is probably migrated or kind of peeling or something to let air into your rim cavity.
1: Yeah, um, I agree, but I, I would also say your installation isn't complete until you've added sealant. So I think if it's a slow leak, it's a good chance that sealant might just plug the hole is likely in your rim tape, the leak that's likely in your rim tape, or maybe it's at the valve stem, the sealant would probably do that job. So I don't know. Maybe that's a lazy, bad information, but that's probably the approach I'd I'd take personally.
0: It would be the easier approach, but my reluctance to do that is just the the fact that um, having seen lots of wheels with nipples that have corroded inside the rim because they've been contaminated with liquid sealant and it's been sitting there and who knows how much sealant is in there. I personally, I know it's a pain to remove that tire once CushCore is in there. Uh, I would be kind of reluctant to just throw a bunch of sealant in there and hope for the best because who knows where all that sealant is going to end up. Um, As far as getting that tire off with CushCore, um, unfortunately is kind of a situation where you kind of just need some pretty strong thumbs um, because that CushCore, uh, that CushCore brand anyway, specifically of those uh, foam tire liners fit quite tightly on the rim. And you really need to push that tire bead and like you need to push that tire bead into the center channel of the rim. And in doing so, you need to kind of stretch that Cushcore foam insert up a little bit. Um, and there's really no great way of doing that, unfortunately, without just pushing real hard.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Pushing really hard with like a slight upward motion to, as as James said, stretch that Cushcore. Um, right. You know, sort of pushing it out of the way of the rim bead, uh, rim bed. So, um or you can follow the, the story Ian recently did about the 38 sponsors of the... What team was that? What team was that? <laughs> team was that Drone Hopper.
0: And Androni, Yeah,
1: now called Dronehopper. Drone they have a team sponsor that has a device that lets you install and remove um, inserts from tires that kind of gives you an extra hand. Um, and the demonstration video was hilarious in how hard the guy <laughs> made it look to use <laughs> very well worth looking up um yeah it's it's a tool to make things easy but the guy was like sweating with four different tire levers at the same time it was quite funny so next um, question next question yes. we're
2: gonna we're gonna move to a short question here with probably i think a short answer greg Maxock, who we believe is a velo Club member thank you greg for being a velo Club member
0: I have, if, you're, if you're not a Velo Club member, please become one. Please become one.
2: What are you doing? I have a SRAM Eagle access rear derailleur on my gravel bike, and the B-limit screw undoes itself over a long or bumpy ride. So by the end, my shifting is bad and my chain is slack. What do I do?
0: Dave, I believe you had an answer for this one.
1: Yeah, so SRAM Eagle uh, is not... It it has a different derailleur design in that there's not really any spring at the the mounting bolt. Um, and because of that, you need to install it slightly differently. So you don't grease that mounting bolt where it attaches to the derailleur hanger. You actually, uh, SRAM recommend that you use Loctite, a blue Loctite, and that you tighten it to, I believe off the top of my head, it's 12 newton meters. So you really need to get that bolt, mounting bolt extremely tight and ensure that it doesn't come loose. Uh, and that should, in theory then keep your B-limit screw in place rather than being wiggled around. I'd also add a drop of Loctite to the B-limit screw if that limit screw moves a bit too easily. But beyond that, I can't see any reason why it would be coming loose. Um, In my mind, the only reason why it would be coming loose is if your mounting bolt is not super tight and super secure, which would be allowing the whole derailleur to sort of pivot back and forth a little bit. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Okay. James, do you have anything to add to that?
0: Not really. Uh, it's kind of interesting that I actually just went through this exact process on my wife's bike because she uh, she heads out sometimes on Wednesday evenings with a bunch of her girlfriends out to uh, a jump park not too far away from here. And she said her bike was shifting just fine, just fine, just fine. And then she kind of came down a little hard from one of the jumps. And then all of a sudden her shifting was all out of whack. And she came home and I noticed that her B-tension screw had kind of seemingly backed all the way out somehow and Loctite seems to have solved the issue so far it hasn't been a problem since then but I will find out later if it's still an issue
2: this explains why my surround derailleurs occasionally try to fall off need more Loctite
1: yeah Loctite and more uh, torque on that bolt Um, weird it's weird yeah it's very different to Shimano which traditionally has a spring in that in that mounting bolt which stops uh, the need for this but uh, but yeah part of by design all right Let's go to Stuart Brown.
2: Stuart, I'm going to I'm gonna paraphrase your question here, but basically Stuart uh, needs a sturdy, portable, and or cheap, preferably cheap, bike stand slash holder thing that he can use outside to wash his bikes. He's got a, a Park PCS 10 that he has, sounds like, in the garage or something like that, uh, but he usually has bikes in it, and he doesn't want to use that. You He know, doesn't want to have to pull it out all the time. Want something else that it can just sit outside and just be used to, well, capable of withstanding, he calls it power washing, which we've discussed previously.
0: Uh, I don't know if he's actually power washing or not, but withstanding, you know, a hose. Any recommendations? Uh, I mean, I personally use a a wall-mounted park repair stand, which is not necessarily particularly inexpensive, but it's very sturdy because I can clamp the bike uh, as I normally would. And it's fixed to a fence post that is pretty sturdy in the ground. So, uh, that's what I use. However, um, Stuart, I don't really know what your wall setup looks like. And I don't know if this is a secure setting outside that you were talking about. And, uh, that wall mounted repair stands, not necessarily super cheap. However, there are an awful lot of just standalone kind of like display stands that you can buy various online outlets and some bike shops will have them and stuff like that. Um, there's a bunch of different styles on them, but all they are meant to do is essentially just hold your bike upright. Um, Something like that I think would work for you. However, just the fact that you said that you're using kind of a power washer is a little bit concerning to me because those might not be as sturdy as you need them to be. Uh, So that's something to think about because they're usually not meant to be, uh, not really meant to hold the bike in a way that would kind of have it withstand something like that. Uh, So that's something to think about. So that, that could work, but it might not be as sturdy as you want it to be.
1: Yeah, yeah the as far as the display stands go the my my pick of the bunch would be like the feedback sports rack r-a-k-k uh which is it's the stand i use for most of my bike shoots i started using it after having um maybe had a few pro bikes blow over in the wind not to name names but there's been a few that have dropped over while i've shot them so you know like like small names, no one big, like only like Schleck and only like Andy Schleck, Marcel Kittle. Um, anyway, I'll stop there. But, um, yeah, so I started using a stand that I knew wouldn't blow over at that point, And that's been, that's been great. And I haven't found anything quite as, as, um, solid as that since. So that's a really nice stand. It works with a variety of bikes. And the best part is, is it doesn't come anywhere near the disc brake. It just, yeah. uh, it just um, holds the bike from the wheel.
0: One thing that you could also do, yeah, and, and that stand is pretty nice too because you can't flip the bike around. You can secure it by the front wheel as well. Um, that one still, it's pretty heavy because the frame is steel. Um, it's, it's pretty sturdy. It's a little bit more, it, it's certainly more one of the more expensive standalone options. Um, one thing that is kind of cool, it does have mounting holes in the base, if I remember correctly. So one thing you could do if you really wanted to get fancy is you could uh, put like a threaded anchor in the ground. Um, and then you could use like a big thumb screw or something like that to kind of just temporarily bolt it down so that it doesn't fall over. Um, so that's certainly an option too. I mean, it wouldn't necessarily be super cheap. I think it would probably like in the U S at least anyway, the combination of everything is what, like 60 bucks, something like that, maybe. So not super cheap, but not terribly expensive either, but that might not be a bad app might not be a bad option.
1: 60 yeah. bucks is pretty good. Sixty bucks is pretty good. Yeah. A part of that question, um, the longer part of that question, also mentioned needing to use a C uh, post to undo the head of the, the Park Tool workstand. Um, so, just a quick tip there is uh, if you disassemble that clamp, uh, you'll find instructions on Park Tool's website um, and grease it, you'll, that issue will go away. The cone part, like the tapered yes. cone issue. Yep. It keeps yep. it from binding up.
2: Yep. There you go. All right. Let's hear from James Wynn does anybody know of a good resource to decode all the direct mount chain ring standards i think race face and eastern are the same but i think fsa is different but it's surprisingly hard to find good information
0: on this online where should oh, james go one of our favorite topics standards in the bike industry how they're all different um my favorite resource for looking up something like this, uh, I usually like to go with uh, a bigger aftermarket chainring supplier because they usually have pretty good guides since it's in their interest to let people know what they have and what is compatible. And my favorite one right now is the one uh, that Wolf Tooth publishes. So uh, you can, James, you can find this at wolftoothcomponents.com slash pages slash tech dash docs. Um, but it's, it's, on the, it's not too far, hard to find on their homepage if you're looking around. Um, but that's very useful because they have a little printout and they have pictures. You can kind of like hold everything up to see what actually matches up to what you got, which is pretty cool. Um, that all said, I am pretty positive that FSA's direct mount chainring ring standard is completely different from anything else that's out there. It's kind of more like a, it, it actually kind of more closely resembles like a Shimano 11-speed cassette spline. Um, but of course it isn't actually, because uh, the whole situation is just profoundly stupid.
1: Yeah. And Easton and Raceface are the same.
0: There you go. That's all you need,
2: James. You're good to go. <laughs> uh, all right. We got a question from Charles Wiley. I believe this is our, nope, it is not our penulti- penultimate question. We have three to go. Charles Wiley. Well, just, body- just to be clear, we don't have to do all of them, Kaylee. Oh, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bouncing My around to the ones I think are, are interesting. So mm-hmm. I think this is interesting. Uh, so Charles Wiley bought a 10 year old Fuji for his nephew who enjoyed riding one of our road bikes when he visited it looks practically unused except for this strange stain at the bottom of the head tube it looks like grease but it does not wipe off i'm hesitant to do anything more vigorous any thoughts on the
0: cause and or a fix uh dave you and i both looked at this question on the Club slack channel and unfortunately for people listening you are not able to look at the picture that charles provided of this but just to be clear it is sort of like a pearl white frame and uh, what it at the base of the heads, do you have what looks like kind of like yellowing? Um, so this is not entirely uncommon on bikes that have a very light or white paint job like that. And in my experience, what that is is uh, it's essentially staining long-term from grease or oils or something that have been left on the, on the clear coat. Uh, and eventually it just sort of like seeps in and just kind of discolors it over time. And, as far as I can tell, there's no way to like wash it out. So if you really, really wanted to get rid of it, my, my guess is what you would end up having to do is you would have to sand off that section of clear coat, re-clear coat it, and then potentially re-polish it so it all kind of matches. Um, 10-year-old Fuji, my guess is that you probably don't want to go through that much trouble, but that is probably what you would have to do if you really, really wanted to get rid of it.
2: Last question from Wade Wallace. I think is the, is the name. Uh,
0: who is who is this joker? Who is this? I don't know who this is. Is he a Vela Club know. member? I don't uh, know. Is he a, better question, is he a paying Vela Club <laughs> member? <laughs> I'm pretty sure we comped him.
2: Uh, this, mm. this, is, this, is, this is from uh, our founder, our guiding light, Wade Wallace, has a question for you two. I know this sounds ridiculously thrifty, he says. It is. But I don't like unnecessary waste. I have a bunch of valve cores that are perfectly good but have sealant clogged up deep inside them, which makes them unusable. There's no tool small enough to be able to clear this out. Or maybe there is, Dave Rome. Is there a way to dissolve or remove the latex stuck inside the valve core to make them usable again? We're just talking about the valve cores, not the valve bodies here, which you can kind of like stick something through the valve bodies. Any
1: suggestions for Wade (laughs) Wallache? Dave, what you got here? Uh, Boiling water is an option. You can just let it sit and kind of loosen up the gunk Uh, degreaser as an option i personally i use a like a drop of chain lube and kind of work it in and try clear out the valve core and then if it's still a problem then i replace the valve core because uh yes it's wasteful but they're incredibly cheap and very small and life is too short to waste time cleaning your valve cores
0: (laughs) Uh, I have never tried this wade, but I'm curious if you know, after kind of softening things up or even before softening things up, I actually wonder if you might be able to like blast some air through there with uh with an air gun connected to a compressor. Um, that may or may not work. Um, bigger issue for me, however, is uh Wade. If you are finding yourself repeatedly clogging valve cores with sealant, that tells me that you are either injecting sealant through the valve without removing the core. Or you in, you're injecting sealant through the valve uh, and not really letting the, or either and not either using uh, an injector that has a needle that lets you inject sealant all the way into the tire casing instead of like through the body. Um, or, you, um, or you're kind of like injecting the sealant and not really letting it drip all the way in before putting the valve co- uh, core back in.
1: Or you're inflating your tire with the valve at the bottom. So every time you attach the pump, the sealant is coming back through the valve under pressure. Hmm. I've just googled it.
2: <laughs> Tetrahydrofuran Google (THF) readily dissolves latex. However, due to its highly flammable and explosive nature, THF is reserved
0: for industrial use. <laughs> so maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe not that. Maybe maybe don't do that one. So so clearly the na- clearly the natural solution would to take that would be to take that THF solvent in that pot that Dave was mentioning and then boil it, and
1: then for sure that latex would be dissolved <laughs> out of there. No question. Or the Please more can, um, or the more environmentally friendly option is to replace your valve core. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, you know, I think it's kind of like it's kind of like patching tubes, right? Like it's not really actually worth the time if you actually were going to like stop and think about how much it cost you. But it's worth it for not having to buy more tubes and put more tubes in the landfill and all those other things.
0: Well, I disagree. Patching tubes is always worthwhile. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah. But yeah, um, it's the same try, thing, a, try a drop of oil. It goes a long way with these. With this issue, it stop. It more importantly, once you have it clean, a drop of oil will stop that sealant from clogging up as quickly again.
0: Uh, mm. Mm. all right, I think that's it. Is that all we got? That's all we got, Kayleigh? I mean, there's okay. some more, but we'll save them for next week or two weeks from now. Okay, easy enough. We do have to save some for for Zach, for yeah. newly newlywed then newlywed Zach at this yes. point. Oh yeah, he will be. By the by, the the
2: next time he's on the podcast, he will be a wedded man.
0: Indeed, he will be Zach Winder. Should be. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that will do it for this week's episode of Nerd Alert. Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, I know we always bring this up, but if you have not already given us a rating or review on iTunes, that is very helpful for us to bring more listeners in because you may or may not have noticed that we have no ads on Nerd Alert. And that is not because people do not ask to buy ads on the show. We get requests all the time, actually. Uh, but we have made the conscious decision to not inundate you with a bunch of ads on Nerd Alert. Coupon code SPOKY Dokey. Yeah, but it is very helpful if more of you listen. So please tell your friends about Nerd Alert. Please go ahead and give us that rating and review. Uh, and that would be very helpful. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, please keep on listening. If you've got any questions for us, please join our Velo Club channel. Join our Velo Club subscri- uh, subscription base. Go ahead and send us those questions. We're, we'll be happy to answer your questions on the Asking Mechanic segment. Uh, otherwise, that's kind of about all I've got for you this week. I guess we'll just see you next time. Yes.
2: Bye, everybody.